And we are live. So today on Lifestyle Medicine, we've got Michelle Lin. So Michelle, I'm going to just give you a little tiny intro and then you can kind of flush out whatever I miss because <laughs> you've got a lot that you do. But Michelle was a part of Dr. Yang Jing Ming's program and you were part of the five-year program, correct? Yes. And that was back in 2013 is when that started? Okay. So Michelle was in this program where you were essentially studying Gong Fu full-time for five years and you learned Chinese, you guys learned digital media so that you could actually like, you know, circulate what you learned after the fact. And my first episode was with uh, Javier Rodriguez, who was also on the mountain, but he was there for nine years. So I know you have a background, Michelle, in like in martial arts. You've been doing it for most of your life and you've got a pretty eclectic background. But can you just can you kind of give a background to yeah, who you are, what you do so the audience has a, a better feel for that? So I started training Kung Fu at YMA Andover when I was about 15 and my history is a little bit weird because I only did it for about three years and then I stopped for seven and didn't think I was going to come back because it was more of a hobby for me back then and I also had a knee surgery so it was pretty sporadic in terms of my training and in my mid-twenties I came back to it and actually it was because Jonathan Chang, one of the tenure, the only tenure student who stayed on. Um, I heard about him joining the program, which was starting up in 2008. So just hearing about him, reconnecting with him, inspired me to want to train again. And, and John's from the same school and hometown as me. Uh, so that was my background in Kung Fu. And when I got to the retreat center, I started learning Tai Chi. I had maybe like, I took a couple weeks of an intro class for Tai Chi before mm -hmm. that, but Basically nothing. I started fresh, but having that yeah. kung fu background definitely helped with the foundation for Tai Chi. Yeah, to say the least. And so it's safe to say then most of your martial art training was actually in the YMAA system. You actually had that, which is pretty, that's pretty nice because a lot of people come from so many different systems of martial arts and then they find the one that they want to really bite into, you know, later in life, but they've had usually a, a, a mixed background of lots of different things. And you sort of had the same foundation from the get-go, which is rare. That's very not typical. For Well, actually, at the time when I started, there were two, no, it was me, um, Enrico, Quentin, and Nathan from France. Yep who were all in YMA. So that was unusual because in the 10-year program, John was John and Ricardo were the only ones. But then by the time the five-year program started, you know, most of us actually were from the YMA background. So um, that definitely, I think it helped us grasp the material sooner just because yeah. we had been exposed to it and we kind of knew what was, or we knew a little bit more what was expected. Us. Yeah, what you were getting into. <laughs> well, I got there, I don't know if you remember, but I got there, I think, two days after you guys, the five-year program had started, and I didn't know that. I knew nothing about, I mean, I knew I knew Dr. Yang and his work. For the people listening, Dr. Yang Ming is prolific in the martial art world. He's written 40-plus books, right, give or take? I mean, it's, it's a lot. <laughs> but he... Um, he started this program and you guys were showing up. And when I came in, I thought, I thought you guys had all been there for five years 
at, by that point because I had heard about the 10-year program. And then I remember, I think, two days into like me doing my stuff with you guys, I was like, so how long have you guys been here? You're like, two days. <laughs> and I remember thinking like, oh, so I'm starting with you. That's very weird. That's very strange. But it was kind of cool, too. I felt like I was entering with you guys even though I was only going to stay for two months and not for five years. So when you when you came in, um, it should be said, you were the only woman there. Like you were the only one in the program. So what was that like going in, going in knowing that and then the real-time experience of that? What was that like, being the only, the only woman there? I guess I've always... I felt like I could relate to guys pretty well, mm-hmm. so it wasn't that strange for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were all there for the training, so there yeah. wasn't anything kind of unusual in that sense. So it, everybody was just focused on just trying to learn what we were supposed to learn. Yeah. Um, but I mean, outside of training, dynamics-wise, I think I mean for the most part, everyone was pretty respectful. Of course, there's there are times when guys might not realize and they start to get into that locker room talk and sure. you know I'm there and so for me sometimes I, w- I wouldn't really say anything partly yeah. because um, it was something I wanted them to learn for themselves and to see how the other guys would also react because it's not just the responsibility of the female to say something if they want but they can also choose not to say anything right. and just see how that person develops too so um, but you know that was very, very rare. I can't even. It might have happened like two times, maybe, where there was a comment that was like, you know, maybe, maybe that shouldn't have been said, or shouldn't. Sure. It wouldn't have been said in a more public setting, I should say. Right. Uh, right. But it, it definitely by by the end of the program, you know, everybody was a lot more. Everybody matured. Everybody survived together. So um, we just had a lot of respect for each other, and um, yeah. You just have a connection with these people because you spent so many years with them day in, day out. And because of all that training, you're always close to them. You you get to know somebody in a way that you can't if you're just talking to them. When you train with them, when you're working with them physically, mm-hmm. you learn a lot about them that wouldn't have been revealed otherwise. That's very true. It's a very for lack of a better term, it's a very intimate sort of connection because you're physically training your bodies and you guys are processing your lives at the same time. I think that was the really interesting part that I saw. I was only there for two months and I really enjoyed my time with you guys. I mean, it was a blast and I I felt like I was part of your clan for a, a short period because I started with you, you know, and I, I, we, you know, everyone cooked meals together and I got to really sit with you guys and hang out and socialize and laugh and do body work and acupuncture. And it was cool. You know, it was like, it was fun to, to be in that mix, but I thought it was really interesting how I was watching you guys, especially once I knew that it was the beginning of the five-year program, watching you guys start to process the reality of we're going to be here for five years and we're going to be here doing this thing. <coughs> excuse me, and being around each other full time and just being saturated in this environment. And I thought there's a lot of therapy that's going on too, because you guys are just working your bodies day in and day out. And that was, that's the therapy in and of itself is just training Kung Fu and just doing that consistently. But I I thought it was very cool that you guys were just like, we're here, we're doing this and we're going to jump in full tilt and it's just going to be what it's going to be. And it seemed like for the most part, everyone pretty much had that attitude that it was like, yeah, we just have to kind of do this. But I also know you've had, there were, um, in the 10-year program, 
And in the five-year program, you guys lost people, which is pretty common. I think it's, it seems like it's more common than people that actually stay the full course. So when people um, have left the program, you know, in your opinion, what has been sort of the determining, what's the thing, what's the straw that breaks the camel's back? What, what, what's the reason people leave? Is it different for everybody or is there, are there some common threads? It's definitely different for everybody. And I, I guess the common thread is probably the expectations. Mm -hmm. So we can't help it. We have to have some sort of expectation and goal in mind when we go into something like this. So I think for some people, it could have just been the training itself was was too much, or they got injured. Like my, I got injured plenty of times. Right. You had knee problems, correct? That was like that was. <laughs> I have a lot of issues. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ankle and hip. So, um, yeah. so I had to train around that. So yeah, it's the physical training, and then also um, you touched upon massage. Which uh, yeah, when you started with us, I, I felt like you were part of our group too, and yeah. we thought be so weird when gray leaves have <laughs> introduced massage at least to our group and it yeah. actually became more and more um practiced throughout the years there were, there are some people who got more interested in it so oh, cool. they massage each other later on in the year um, cool. but i'll get back to that um, yeah yeah that's very cool people, oh people deciding to leave yeah so there it's it was for a lot of reasons and i i think the only common thread, like I said, is probably expectations one way or another, whether it was the training, the environment, mm -hmm. or um, just, or maybe even not fitting in with either the lifestyle or the community. So, Right. Well, it seems pretty reasonable. I mean, it's a pretty sizable commitment for people to take on. I mean, there's, I remember, I mean, I was... I was I was 32. I was 31 when I got onto the mountain. I had my birthday on the mountain, so I turned 32 while I was out there. And I remember, um, you know, a number of you were in your people were in their 20s, and I remember just thinking, God, buckling down in my 20s to do something like this would be, like, I mean, I was so flighty and I was so into so many things, and to buckle down, I thought, boy, this is reasonable that it's going to be hard. Even if you're not in your 20s, I, f I figured it was going to be difficult to to commit to that. And that sort of brings me to my <clears throat> my next question. When I've told people about your program and when I've told them about my experience just living with you guys for two months during, you know, 2013, when I've shared that, people invariably, they always want to hear the story. They're like, whoa, whoa, like flesh this out. You were living with people that were going to live on a mountain for five years or 10 years and do all kinds of crazy things, you know, martial arts related, um, you know, they grew their own food. They were very intrigued basically by the lifestyle. And I remember saying to them, I was like, yeah, it's amazing. And it's also not all shits and giggles. Like they're, they're doing hard work up there. Like they're very busy and they're very diligent and they're very uh, practiced and it's long hours. And, you know, I would say that rhythm and that lifestyle is definitely not typical nowadays. We're in the information era, everyone's on their phones, everything is very busy, attention spans are very short. So, you know, when you signed up to go into this program and, and you got accepted, did those things cross your mind about how different a rhythm this was going to be in terms of lifestyle? Or was it sort of a natural 
offshoot for you where you sort of like, yeah, I can do this or it just, it seems so foreign nowadays. I think it's beautiful, but I'm just curious if uh, the foreignness of that was on your plate ahead of time. <laughs> I was looking for something different actually. Mm -hmm. And being able to focus on training was what I was searching for. Um, but as you mentioned, it was, it is very different from what we consider normal society. So it wasn't that easy to actually efforts on training. I mean, for many of the hours, of course, we did. But there are other things that came up that were unexpected. Mm. So, for example, like growing our own food, right? When you first visited, the garden was relatively small, and it's pretty much double or even tripled in size oh, since wow. then. Wow. And so when something expands that much, then you need more manpower to manage it. So right. there's that balance of, you know, we want to grow our own food, we want it to be organic, but at the same time, how much effort is going into that versus training. And then just balancing all the other chores as well. And just the fluctuation of the number of students or visitors coming in, that would definitely change the rhythm and the number of responsibilities we had outside of training, sure. which made really challenging because it, in a way it was a distraction so mm -hmm. um, so that it, there was a it was a constant adjustment because like we had touched upon there are a lot of people who left throughout the years and yeah. then people came in and with that the community dynamic changes so it was it was never really the same throughout the five years I was there yeah yeah it's pretty <clears throat> I mean it's all those things I thought that's those are all reasonable hurdles that seemed that they would come up, right? The size of the garden growing, the influx of people. And even in the summers, I remember learning that you guys have technically summers off, quote unquote, but in reality, you didn't really have summers off because you were still teaching seminars to students coming in. You're pretty, <clears throat> you're pretty much active, right? During the summer. I mean, you have like a lot of seminars and whatnot. It depends. So some of the students would stay at the retreat center to help out for those for Dr. Young seminars. So they were busy the entire time. They're mm -hmm. they're the ones behind the scenes trying to make sure food's ready, everything's clean, picking up guests, dropping them off, taking them, you know, to the redwoods and helping to teach the class. So right. I did only for one week actually. Um, I volunteered like two summers ago, so I had a taste of what it was like, but. Some of the guys stayed there for the entire summer. Um, for other students, though, uh, the ones that went home, so it, it depended on the student. For me, I went back to my part-time job, and then I would also teach workshops with John here on the East Coast. So we would visit the other YMA schools here, like Boston, um, Andover, Portsmouth, and Quebec. So. Uh -huh. We did, we did want to keep that going and also to, you know, just to connect with our YMA family and update our training and um, just stay involved because we were planning to come back to Massachusetts afterwards anyway. So we wanted to have a, a you know, good network here. Yeah, absolutely. And did you, you know, when I've, like I said, when I've talked to people about this program and I've shared the story, people were have asked for sure. And I, I've wondered the same thing and I always wish I would have probed a little more, but I also realized how new it was for you guys at the, at the same time. But there, there had to be sort of a roller coaster. I would think of emotions of highs and lows. Like some days are great. Some days you're probably just like, Oh, I'm tired. And you know, this is a struggle like regular life. We have our ups days and down days. Was there, you know, in terms of like the hardest time 
during the five years, was there a time that was the hardest uh, collectively in training, you know, whether it be physical, you know, injury or just influx of people? Was there, was there like, was there a hardest time or did it come and go? It definitely came and went. And for me, injuries actually played a pretty big part and I'm still dealing with some chronic injuries. Now, yeah. So there's a lot of frustration <clears throat> you train the way you want to train. Um, especially because uh, we, you know, we're given a number of drills or sequences or you know exercises that we're supposed to be doing. So, so there's that side of the training, but we we also didn't really have that much knowledge on the yin side of training on the recovery process. So, yeah. you know, if you if you think about professional athletes, they have a team that's behind them telling them yeah. what to train, what to eat, you know. Yeah, absolutely. When to sleep and we didn't have that unless we kind of studied on our own. Right. But none of us were really um we never actually studied that in depth, so it's difficult to say everybody had their own way of dealing with injuries. Mm-hmm recovery but um that part was was a big hurdle was just learning how to to move and recover efficiently um but yeah frustration wise and mentally emotionally there was a lot of up and ups and downs as well i would say more extreme out there than i'd ever experienced in my life and i don't know if it's because of that that environment and um, maybe part of it is becoming more sensitive to one's emotions and energies and the ones around you too and being with them 24-7 almost so y- you become very in tune with your own emotions but it's some, in some ways it seems like it's more heightened because of that so yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm going around in circles but it's it's not always that easy to to explain no, it's, I think it's well said the way you just said it, because I think that's sort of the key, that's the key point that, I mean, in the context of the work I do, you know, I teach feng shui, I work with people, um, the environment does make a difference. And I think being, you guys weren't isolated and cut off from society, but you're also on 240 acres on a mountain, pretty much contained to yourselves, training ancient arts, doing lots of hard physical work and you are contained in this little bubble, <clears throat> excuse me, so it follows suit that, yeah, the stuff that you're going to go through is going to be pretty concentrated within that network of people. You guys are going to be going through your stuff, you know, pretty consistently. So, I mean, I was always, I always admired you guys for jumping into that process and just being like, yeah, we're here. It's just going to be what it's going to be. And we're here for the training, right? We're going to like learn and, you know, absorb what we can from Dr. Yang. Well, and that sort of that brings me, as you were saying, that it got me thinking, flashing back to that time, you know, the, the traditions um, that I've studied and where I kind of came from was definitely, you know, I spent five years in an organization called the North American Tong Shidao Association, and they were a traditional Chinese martial art gong fu association, but that also had a very strong medicine lineage tradition. So of which you guys were recipients of, you know, the, the, the tweena that I did with you guys uh, during the time, so I was working on people and people listening. I was offering up to work on you guys for just for free, like because I was like, you guys need it. You guys are in dire need of because you're going to be going through a lot physically. Um, and when I was in Tung Shadao, that was a pretty amazing idea. Their whole take, sort of at least from the traditional Chinese martial art context, was it's like 
the medicine and martial arts really went hand in hand. And when you practice martial arts, you get dinged up quite a bit. And so if you have the yin portion or the medicine portion, it's a favor. You know, it behooves you to yourself to, to, to do that and to take care of yourself. So it's interesting. You said, you know, when um, I was doing Twina with you guys, um, I know you guys were happy to receive it. You're like, oh, yeah, like totally like work on my legs, work on my, work on my back, my hips, whatever. Um, but then you said it also actually stuck around like people actually got into. It. I know Javier had um, had interest in it, and I know he was giving um, Twina massage to Dr. Yang, like weekly, right? And I think he did that for like his duration of time there. But can you talk about that a little bit? Like how the, yeah, how the that Twina massage piece kind of came in, and it sounds like it stayed. But I would love to hear more about that. Well, it was. I can tell you that it wasn't every student. Um, sure. But- Definitely Javi and Quentin and Piper actually took mm-hmm. an interest in that as well. So that eventually they started to practice on Dr. Young. And whenever we had visitors who came and had experience with massage, they would pick up some tips from them. So um, we were happy to be recipients of you know their their practice. So your uh, uh, your connection cut out there, Michelle, just for a second. So you said um, when the visitors came, you what with them? Like you got tips from them? Is that what? Yeah, so there there were plenty of visitors who came and they had some um, experience in different types of massage. So mm-hmm. so the those guys would learn a few tips from them and then try it out as well. So oh, cool. a lot of it was, um, it was pretty organic for them. And I think they, they took an interest. They started researching on their own, either reading books or watching some YouTube videos to pick up uh, other tips as well. Because I remember I had specific... Um, areas that I need to be worked on so I Quentin would look it up on YouTube and then try it on me next time so I was happy for that Uh, but yeah I mean that didn't really pick up until a little bit later because our um, when you had started with us yeah we still had a our, our schedule was pretty much set a certain way for a few years but then we started to make more adjustments throughout the years to allow more time for recovery and massage mm-hmm with that. Yeah. I, I remember that because, um, I actually remember giving Dr. Young that proposal and saying like, I'd be so happy to come out and work. I was going to bring a team out to you guys and be like, I'm going to work on you guys and, and get that going. But I also remember him being like, I really appreciate the offer, but <clears throat> with a new group and this new flow, like we have to really just stay on schedule. We really just have to stay. He's like, it's tight as it is. And to incorporate something, even if it's like beneficial for them, he's like, I just, we can't juggle it. And I was bummed, but I also understood where he was coming from. I, especially like a year later, I was like, yeah, I just staying, staying and watching you guys and seeing what was going on. And I stayed really connected with Javier. I talked with him consistently and he's come out and visited me and I just started to see how busy you guys actually were. So it it made, it made sense in that um, bigger picture. And you know, the, what was your experience? You know, when people were doing the um, tweena or massage or whatever it is that they're doing, what, did you notice a difference like in terms of did it help um, as you guys got body work? Did you feel it was beneficial in the process? I mean, it depended on what the issues were, but for sure, sure I could say overall, I felt a lot better usually after a massage. Um, but, you know, there's some issues that require more than that. So yep. uh, you, you still ha- definitely have to see a, a medical professional to, to find out exactly what your condition is. Sure. Uh, but you know, on the whole, I think it was definitely really helpful. And 
eventually I started to use the sauna towards the end of oh, the year. Cool. I, I didn't really have a thing for saunas until my last semester. But yeah. I, I felt the benefits of it, so I um, I appreciated that. So Was there anything, was there, um, what turned you on to saunas? I mean, I know you guys had one there. Uh, I'm a huge advocate for sauna, but was there a turning point? Was there research you read, videos you watched that got you thinking about sauna and the, the benefits? Actually, one of the three-year students who came on later on, um, he he's a retired doctor and after doing some treatments on me and telling me about it I was like okay I should probably give it another shot yeah so um so yeah that's all it really took <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah right someone saying at the, something at the right time and you're like yeah okay that sounds pretty pretty decent for sure um one little side question I had just because um you mentioned his name you know was Piper Piper was he wasn't technically part of the program he was a visitor who became a five-year uh, student basically he ended up did he say the whole five years yeah I think it was probably like the end of year two where he's like I decided I'd like to stay for the five years <laughs> that's hilarious so he's you know he was about 18 18 time, I think, or, or he was quite young so totally yeah uh, you know he's trying to figure out what he wants in life and what experiences he's looking for so we were happy to train with him from day one and he was always part of our group as far as we were concerned whether he was a visitor or not yeah no absolutely that was the that was the funniest thing because when i got there i remember he was young like right out of high school and i remember and and quentin was really young quentin was like 15 or 16 i don't know how old he was but he was young as well and i remember meeting piper though and i'm like i was like oh so you're one of the students he's like no He's like, I just don't know what to do. And this sounded really cool, so I'm going to do this. And then I remember just, I mean, I loved Piper. Piper was funny and he was, you know, charismatic. And I, and I remember just staying there. And then I remember talking to Javi like a year later. And I'm like, whatever happened to Piper? He's like, oh, he's there. And then like two years later, I remember talking to Javi and saying, is Piper still there? He's like, oh, yeah, he's now, now he's part of the five-year like group. And I'm like, that's crazy. He just stayed there and did his thing. It's so cool. So that's just kind of funny. Um, so, Pipey, if you're listening, hello. <laughs> but yeah, that's pretty cool that he stayed uh, stayed the course and did that whole that whole bit. So, Michelle, after um, you know, you do your five years, you go through the program, you do all this crazy thing, all the chores. Um, you know, did you have a plan when you got out of that five year program? Like going in, right? Like a lot of us, like when we go to college, we're like, I'm going to get this degree and go do this thing. Um, did you have a framework for what, you know, going in, it's like, okay, you're going to learn this knowledge, obviously, but did you have an intent of what you were going to do with it before starting? And did that change throughout the course of it? You know, is it still the same? Has it changed? But like what, after going through the program, like what, what does it look like in real time for you to be doing with the knowledge that you acquired? So before I joined the program, I, it was, um, it was me coming back to martial arts after the seven-year break, I should say, mm -hmm. and I found myself wanting to train more and get deeper into it, and then I was also teaching kids' classes, too, and I also taught, actually, a little bit of Tai Chi, um, mm -hmm. now that I think about it. So, teaching was something that I gravitated towards, and I really liked seeing the development in my students, and I remembered my own journey as a high school kid trying it out for the first time, so... Yeah. My intention for going to the program was so that I could learn material better 
and become a better teacher once I left. Mm-hmm. So, um, so after leaving, I mean, or throughout the five years I was there, that's why we would come back and teach workshops and just kind of refine our skills. And while we were there, because we had so many visitors come around, we became teachers in that sense as well, because we're always trying to help somebody learn something new. And you have all different people of all different experience levels, and that helps you become a better teacher as well. A lot of that was kind of like our own individual journey in terms of becoming teachers. So Mm -hmm. um, everybody learns differently. So I would kind of watch somebody who was more experienced and how they taught and then try to pick up Um, tips that I thought were helpful because I could see the reaction in the students whether they understood it better or not so that that I felt like oh that's a valuable teaching method or technique Mm -hmm. so that's kind of how I picked up on how to become a better teacher Um, so so with that in mind you know once I left the program I I wanted to become a teacher or continue teaching and so part of it was going to be or is going to be through online teaching so what Jonathan and I are doing is we're we've created a lot of videos mm-hmm. and we've used our experiences at the center like we shot so many videos for Dr. Young for why yeah. publishing and um, John especially got really good at that so you know we invested in our own equipment we practice shooting our own videos so you can see some of them on our YouTube page now and so um, part of what we want to do is to shoot tutorials or instructional videos, some of them for free, and then some of them we want to offer for sale as well eventually. Um, and then to go along with that, we also offer online teaching, which uh, we realized throughout the years at the center that there was an interest in that because people yeah. want to learn specifically mm-hmm. what we and they didn't have a teacher locally. Right. So. Um, We've been spending more time doing that and seeing more people come to us saying, hey, I'd like to learn what are the different options. And what's great about that is so we have some videos on the side that they can watch. And then when we have an online live session with them, we can give them feedback on what they're doing because a video will give you information and it'll teach you basics or help you remember the material, but it can't correct you. Correct. So you still need to have a teacher to work with. And ideally, you work with them in person, but... You know, in some cases, you, you just have to meet with them online. Um, so that's, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. No, that's very cool. Um, and I'm glad you guys are going that direction because I think it's the market for one is ripe for it. Like it's, you know, it's prime pickings like and you guys are so skilled and you're right. There are a lot of people who are looking for some kind of exposure to these arts but don't have the access. Um, and that's sort of the beauty and the weirdness and the irony of the internet is that, you know, you can get this information and it's like, technically it's not a real live teacher. So live is always the best. I agree. But for the people that don't have access, it seems pretty fitting to, to do this. And I think it's a really good service because people do benefit from it. And prior to this phone call or to this interview, you had said to me, you're like, yeah, people, uh, you can learn quite a bit from a video there's a it's surprising how much you can learn it does it's not everything right but it's definitely like a sizable piece right it's a big piece of to the pie in terms of remembering doing all these things so i'm really happy to hear that you guys are going that direction that you've done that it's i think it's smart and it's really like a good service people definitely definitely need it um one of the things i heard about 
and I I heard that you weren't able to talk about it at the time it was you got into a movie you got into you got into Assassin's Creed was that right yes with Michael Fassbender that's <laughs> so crazy so I heard about that uh, I don't know when when did that happen was that 2015 16 somewhere in there 2015 okay uh, so um, what happened was I, I have my YouTube cham- channel and it's really just for my friends and mm-hmm. I post some training videos and I posted a video of me at the Kung Fu Tai Chi Magazine Tiger Claw Tournament in San Jose mm-hmm. and uh, that was back in that was in May 2015 I posted it it probably has like 100 views at most yeah. so I don't how this casting director's assistant found me she did a search on youtube and i don't know how she found me but uh, she sent me an email saying i'm a casting director i've worked on these movies and we're wondering if you'd be interested in this and you know i look at it and i think it's spam of yeah, course of course like, okay, yeah let yeah. me let me just like entertain this thought for a moment so i replied and then i got a response from her and i realized it was a legit casting company so i thought okay why not um they yeah. didn't tell me the name of the film but you could look. You could find on IMDb based on the information they gave me. So, uh, what I had to do was I recorded my sides for an audition tape, and I did a self tape video, I should say, mm-hmm. and sent it in. And a couple weeks later, I heard back saying I got the role. So it all happened That's very crazy. fast. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so and then, so that was in like July of 2015. Mm-hmm. Then August, I happened to be going to France for one of the YMA international camps. And so I made a detour to the UK for a costume fitting and to meet the director. Mm-hmm. And, and I was to start shooting in October. So I did. I went back to the center for the month of September. But then I had to take a couple months off to fly to London to do the shoot for the film. And I didn't say anything partially. I mean, I couldn't because of the NDA. Right. But also because, like, I never, I had no idea, you know, I'm, even if I'm in this film, even if I do all these scenes, I might not make the final cut. Because you never know what's going to happen. Totally, and, yeah. You know, I didn't even tell anybody I was in the UK until, like, later on. I was like, hey, guys, I'm here um, I can't tell you why, but uh, do you want to meet up? And so, yeah, I was there for three and a half months. And then I went back a couple more times for the reshoots. Um, and then the movie came out in December of 2016. So it was a very odd, um, very unexpected experience in the middle of my five years at the retreat center. No, it was cool. <laughs> it's very cool. Yeah, I remember hearing about it because I... I remember, um, I think Javi was staying with me. He had come to Sacramento and was visiting me for like a, a couple days. And, and he had said to me, he's like, yeah, he's like, Michelle got this role in Assassin's Creed. And she's like one of the people in the movie. I'm like, wait, what? How did that even happen? And then I was, of course, it begged the question. Yeah. How did you pull away from the mountain to go do that? But it, and it, so it sounded like it didn't conflict really too terribly much. I was, at first I was really concerned because I had made the commitment to be there for five years, so mm-hmm. I thought about it, and then I asked Dr. Young, I, you know, I approached him and told him what was going on and asked for his opinion, and he said he, was, he, said it was fine. He was supportive of me. Um, I think cool. he, you know, he can see when there could be other opportunities, yeah. and you know, if you think about it, three and a half or three months in your entire lifetime is really just a drop in the bucket. It is. So, 
I can, he said that I could always continue training it. And, um, yeah, so, so he, he let me go for that semester. And then it's, it, that's one of the main reasons why I stayed for an extra semester. So I stayed for, um, five and a half years, even mm-hmm. though I was there for one semester. Yeah. Yeah. You made up the time that you lost that little, that, that little bit. Um, so just out of curiosity though, when you were doing the movie, you know, you're, so, you know, I have not seen it yet and I've, I've been like, I want to see it really bad and I, I know you're in it. So like when you go to film this movie, like what role did you have and how much are you in the flick? Like what, what how much of the final cut did you actually make? I don't know my screen time, but I play one of the other assassins. So Michael Fassbender's character discovers that he's the descendant of an assassin and there's this entire brotherhood and there's the assassins um, mm-hmm. and Templars. So he's in Abstergo, which is a lab where the Templars are keeping all these modern-day descendants of assassins. Uh-huh. So I'm the modern-day uh, assassins there. And um, actually, the character, my character is a descendant of uh, another character who has her own video game in the Assassin's Creed franchise. It's mm-hmm. not one of the main games, though. Mm-hmm. Um, so Assassin's Creed Chronicles China. Okay. Um, she's in so um yeah going into it i had i had really had no idea what to expect so yeah. i thought okay, i'm just going to go in with what i have who i am and give it my best shot and see what happens and surprisingly a lot of the martial arts training that i did in my experience on the mountain actually translated into acting and performing for the film um and having a little bit of that exposure with media production because of all the videos that we had shot before sure but in terms of um preparing for the character for the action scenes uh, you know in our training we have to have sense of enemy so we have to make sure what we're doing makes sense if it's actually going against somebody right so um targets um the spirit the intention all of that has to be there and then when you're doing a fight scene with someone it's basically the same thing and you have to try to get as close as you can as to, as possible to the other performers and make it look real. So yep. in some ways, yeah, in some ways it's not real. But in other ways, there's some similarity. There's some crossover in terms of the training. And, you know, they're, they're very disciplined in their craft. And the, the people I worked with, they're some of the best in their professions. So yeah. it was amazing to see that level. Yeah. That's very cool. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing it. I just haven't, and it's like I I forget about it, and I'm like I gotta see it. I'm I'm definitely gonna watch. It. I'll probably watch it this weekend <laughs> as a result <clears throat> of doing this. But um, did you get to meet Michael Fassbender? Yeah, I did. What's he like? He was really nice. I when I first met him, I was gonna shake his hand, and he just gave me a hug. Oh, that's um, cool. <laughs> it's like because his character is is in that lab with me and a couple of other characters as well. So um, he as he's discovering who he is, like. The rest of us, we already know who we are, and um, without giving anything away, you know, we're kind of we have that connection because we're in the same situation. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I had I had some scenes with them, and there's some, I mean, there's a lot of fight scenes going on, and we're you know we had to rehearse together and we had to shoot together. So, so yeah. That's cool. <laughs> That's what a experience. what a fun fun little side jaunt while you're on the mountain to go be in a movie. I remember just thinking that and I thought, I thought good for Michelle, you know, get, get get out there and get into a Hollywood production for a little while. It's very cool. <clears throat> it sounds like a ton of fun. Um, one of the things you just mentioned that I 
it kind of sparked sparked an idea, and it's something I talk about with my Tai Chi students um, in my martial training. It's definitely come up a number of times. And you said, <clears throat> I think it was, um, you know, sense of enemy was was one. You said, you know, the intention and the spirit, and that's something that I mean, it's very pervasive obviously in martial art training but can you talk about those three things like why they're important in the context of 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 martial arts like why why that's important so without them what you're doing just becomes movements or um i don't want to say dance but it's it there's it's missing that feeling it makes it less um less martial for sure Mm -hmm. so in our training you know when we're doing a sequence, we want to make sure that what we're striking is accurate target-wise or hand form or kicks, you know, that makes sense if you were to use it on a person. So that's part of it. And also being aware of the the areas on your own body that are exposed. So when you're neutralizing, that side of it too has to make sense, making sure you're actually blocking your face instead of, you know, it's too low or to the side. Mm -hmm. Um, So all of that comes into play when when you're talking about awareness of doing your own form even if it's just solo and then um, having the intent you know again it's they're kind of related to in the way that that say the more young techniques you making sure that they actually come out because you have to have your mind there in order for you to manifest that in order for it to actually go through and then on the yin side as well so a lot of it is is the, or it is the mind actually putting your mind into what you're doing. Yep. Um, what was the last thing? Oh, spirit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and that kind of, that comes with the others as well. So you train to a certain level until you actually can raise your spirit. And I know it's kind of one of those words where you can lose use it pretty loosely. But when we talk about <clears throat> training, to have you know, the extra energy and probably even more intention in your movements to make it feel alive so that if somebody is watching you do a sequence, they feel it too. And there's a big difference when you watch somebody who is just starting out or, you know, if you just learn new material, you're still thinking about it versus somebody who has practiced something over and over and over and you watch them do it, you watch them put their feeling into it and if you can feel it with them. Yeah. Because that's their their expression of it, and then the same goes with po- like sparring or partner sequences as well. You mm-hmm. can tell. So um, if you watch somebody who's who's accomplished and how they deal <clears> with that <throat> partner <throat> situation, and if they're able to recenter themselves and and find a way to to take the advantage, you know, it's you can tell a lot by watching somebody if you have the eye for it. So that's what we try to train our students to do is to develop that eye. Absolutely. And it, it's, it's important. And I think that's one of the pieces that I don't want to say it's lost, but I, I agree with what you said. I, you know, it's sort of like it becomes empty movement in a sense. It's not that it's bad for you, but you're going to be missing the layers that are, um, that are deeper and applicable within the context of that training. You're going to, there's like, there's a bunch of, there's a bunch of threads you can hit if you're training this stuff. And if those pieces are missing, like you said, it's just sort of, you know, it's, it's a loose choreography with not a lot of structure. And, you know, I, I would love to hear your thoughts on this because when I, years back, when I was first getting into martial art training, I was, I don't know, my dad was a Shotokan guy um, and I had done judo as a kid and I was around martial arts and I, in the context of fighting arts, I was always interested and into it. But 
I also had this very idealistic sort of, I don't even know, I think it was just, I was just in a weird place where I was trying to be really passive, but I sort of didn't want, I had this notion that if I was practicing anything that hurt people, that I was somehow corrupting my spirit, like, I don't know what, I don't know what I was thinking, but that's where I was, and I was like, oh, it's violent, it's not right, and we should be harmonious, and, um, and when I started studying martial arts with adults consistently in my adulthood, I just started to see, especially people who were very seasoned and accomplished sharp martial artists, you guys included of that group of like people that are just really good. I started to see, I thought, you know, there's something missing here if I'm not touching on that thread, even if I'm not going to be a fighter, right? Even if I'm not going to go into the UFC or I'm going to go into MMA, there was definitely something missing, like big time. Like, and I really started to see that as I got older, especially in my late twenties, I really started to like, Oh, okay, here it is. Um, you know, and what I've found so far is when I'm teaching Tai Chi students and we're doing a movement and I show them like, this is, this is a strike. This is a push. This is a, a block or a ward off or something. Usually people are very much, um, excited to get it because it helps them understand the gesture better. And then they're also like, oh, that's kind of cool, too. It gives them that little bump of like, okay, doesn't mean I'm a fighter now or anything, but it gives them a structure of, you know, what they're doing. People, as you're teaching them this and you um, are exposing them to the, the martial side of things, is there pushback from people or are people pretty much just on board to practice, you know, that fighting spirit aspect? Have you, have you had any trouble relaying that to people and getting that idea across to them and the, the importance of it? It depends on the type of students or um, in the class. So for some of them, they they seek out Tai Chi to improve their health. Right. And we definitely want to support them as well in, mm-hmm. in that journey. So um, starting with the foundation, the basics, conditioning and all of that, that will help the person sure. you know, develop better balance, better rooting, more center. Um, so we're, we definitely we want to make sure they have a good base before we introduce anything even remotely martial. So the next step is pushing hands. And I know a lot of people feel very uncomfortable with making contact with another person. So Mm -hmm. my thinking is to just start with, you know, very easy drills with minimal contact just to get them used to it. But what I'm finding is that once they get the hang of it and just do very basic, like say single pushing hands drills with another person and they feel that exchange of energy between them, then they start to think, oh, maybe there's there's more that I want to get into. Like you yeah. said, they're not they don't plan on ever using it. Yeah. And you can train a lot of the foundation without ever having planning planning without ever planning to use it, yeah. but still improve your own practice by a lot. Yeah. And I think some of them are starting to understand that it's not just the solo form. I do need to sort of understand how this works by working with another partner, doing the application. Like you said, I completely agree. Yeah. When explain it to someone oh then they understand why they have to move a certain way rather than just telling them so they now have a reason to do it and it, yep. and it helps their health as well so mm-hmm. they get well it's, it takes it out of um theory and it actually puts it into real contextual application they they have something to plug into but it, it is interesting and it's it's nice to hear because in episode um on my podcast you know episode 10 I interview, I believe it's 10, Fabian Melendez, who's a, he's a boxer who was professional for a little while and now amateur. Um, and then episode 22, I interviewed Tim Cartmel, who's a very well-known Chinese martial artist and trains MMA fighters in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in Southern California. And, you know, 
teachers of mine in the past, what you're saying, what these two guys have said too, is very much that touching on the fighting element and having that integrated into the martial practice regardless of whether you are going to become a fighter or not is of the utmost importance for these very reasons. They, they're like in full agreement with you, they, you know, or with us. They're saying, yeah, you know, like Fabian, he trains his boxers regardless of their going professional. He's like, I train them as fighters and all of the techniques, the mindset, the movements. So it's fully functional even if they're not going to use it because that structure um, makes sense and, and makes them healthier. It makes them better practitioners. And Tim Cartmel said something really interesting too. He said, we had this conversation in the episode where I said, you know, Tim, the way I've sort of conceptualized it is that the structure used for martial power that actually gives you, you know, power to, to push someone well or to strike well, those body alignments are the same ones that are structurally sound for your joints and will give you health. And he's like, that's exactly right. That's why you have to train it. If the structure is fundamentally weak, they're not going to like cultivate as much health in their body as they could. So they like the common ground between the fighting arts and the healing arts is that the structure, right? The, the, the structure of the body is sort of the same. It's just like, how are you using it, right? Like, what are you doing with it? But it's, um, it's nice to hear, and it's cool to hear that you're finding that with people too, like in your practice as you teach, it sounds like it's part of a, a big piece of it, yeah? Yes. It's very cool, I love it, yeah. That's fantastic. Well. Michelle, if um, in kind of wrapping up, because I know you have, uh, you know, a place to be next, and so do I. Um, but you know, in in this process, you know, of you going to the program, um, you've done a lot. You know, you've been in a movie, you've done some cool stuff. Where do you hope that the arts are going? You know, like where where are you sort of pushing? I know you're you're definitely teaching the arts, and you're keeping them alive through the YMAA, Dr. Yang Jingming's lineage. But where are you? hoping that like the martial art traditions go from here in modern times when technology is rampant and people are less apt to be in their bodies and more in their minds. I just hope that more people can discover what it has to offer because there's something in it for everybody, no matter how old you are, what your physical condition is, something can be gained by practicing it and if if there are so many distractions in this world i hope that maybe we can start to tap into the those people by creating more content that they would want to see and then they can start to evaluate okay i might be on my phone and i'm looking at this video but this is something else that might actually help me and then maybe i'll start to practice that a little bit more so just in a very broad sense, I'd like to just see more people get interested into the arts. And I think that's going to come if if everybody in the martial arts community can find other ways to communicate that with those who aren't familiar with it. So whether it's through the healing side or more from the martial side, you know, everybody can connect with somebody else differently. So mm -hmm. that's why I like to I like to work with all different kinds of teachers and see what their styles are and see what kind of teacher uh, what kind of students they connect with, um, because it's really about that connection between a particular student and a teacher. Not so much their depth of knowledge, but you know we hope that with more training, everybody can can improve the teacher and the student and that's what I'm looking for in myself as well is to find students who want to learn and then they can actually help me become a better teacher and become a better student by working with them. Absolutely. Well, it's, it's, a, it's a great answer and I, 
I appreciate what you're doing. I mean, I, I, I loved being with you guys on the mountain. I felt so, it felt like such a special time to, to enter into that program with you guys at that time because I felt like one of you, even though I wasn't, but I was like, yeah, this is so cool. I get to like be in this weird little bubble just by happenstance to see where you guys were, but to see where you guys have gone and where um, the program has taken people and what you guys are doing with it, it's inspiring for sure. And I think it's a really cool invitation that you're sort of giving to people um, in saying this. And I, and I think that fighting piece that we just touched on, I think that's sometimes why people steer clear of the martial arts is they're kind of freaked out of fighting. They're like, oh, if I study that, I'm going to be violent. And it means that I'm hurting people. And it's just nice to hear that it's like, it doesn't have to be about that, right? It can definitely be a health practice and it can be a big piece of your life that gives something back to you. And, um, and that teacher student relationship is very reciprocal. I, I appreciate that you're saying that like your students make you better. Um, and without students, right, there is no teaching. So you, you, you sort of need them. <laughs> it's a big piece of it. Well, Michelle, thank you so much for, for being here, for, for doing this interview and just taking time out of your schedule. If people want to find you, follow you, learn more about YMA, um, about the platform, what, where are the places, you know, what, what are your social media handles? Like where to, what's a good place to find you? So um, Jonathan Chang and I, we have our website and it's Barking Rabbit. Dot com. I'm born in the year of the dog. He's born in the year of the rabbit. So <laughs> visit our website. And we're on Facebook's, um, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. and. Are you guys all under that name? Yeah. So you can, you can find that handle um, for each of those different platforms. Uh, and it's all on our website as well. And if they want to send us an email, it's woof, W-O-O-F, at BarkingRabbit.com. Uh, but in terms of the YMA schools, you can also go to ymaaschools.com and that'll give you the training contents that we go through in our curriculum as well as the YMA schools around the world if they are interested in seeking you know, one of the directors there. So yeah, that, that's pretty much it. That's awesome. And just, just one last quick question about that, the YMAA program. Is the mountain programs are they still going on currently right now were there new programs that were started there was a new program that started but as far as i know um it's this the center will be open until at least 2020 mm -hmm. but they are preparing to sell it because it's it's going to end pretty soon so it's going to take some time to find a buyer yeah fair enough and um just for people listening because i i think that was the coolest part about the mountain was that people like me strangers who have no affiliation with the association could go and live and visit and train and be a part of this. Is that, is that door still open for people if they want to go and visit or is it just closed right now and just for, you know, no, students uh, training? No, it's, it's still open. So there's still a couple of students there. So if they want to visit the retreat center, then they can go on ymaaretreatcenter.com and then they can send an email and see when's a good time to visit and all the details will be there. Okay. Well, very cool. Well, thank you again, Michelle. I really appreciate your time. And thanks for all the work that you're doing in this field and just with the martial arts world. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Yeah, you bet. Okay, take care. All right, bye.